are listening to Up To Me Radio, the best in inspirational talk radio. It's up to me. to Informative Conversations Podcast. My guest today is Carl Mason. Carl is a cancer prevention recovery coach, a self-sabotage coach, and founder of Love Your Cancer Free Life. Mm. Hello, Carl. Hi, I love the way you said that. Love Your Cancer Free Life. I love that. Thank you. Yes, and welcome to the show. So, Carl, I I don't even know where to begin, <laughs> but there is so much. Your your story is just, it's so much. But before we get into your story, I want you to tell my listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, now I don't know where to begin because there's a, there's a <laughs> lot. <of myself. laughs> uh, I was uh, born and raised uh, in and around Dallas, Texas. That was my my home territory back in the 60s and 70s and 80s um, and uh, grew up in a little podunk town, you know, just uh, mm-hmm. doing my thing. And my my claim to fame as a kid was my my gardening. That was that was what I was well known for. I sold vegetables to the neighbors when I was nine, 10, wow. 12 wow. years old. And um, by the time I was 14, 15, I was selling them to restaurants and all kinds of things. So um, I was an avid gardener as a kid. Um, of course, I was an um, uh, avid student, and I just always loved discovering. I loved learning. I, I, I think I was born asking why, because I wanted to understand yeah. everything. You know, I, I wanted to, to just absorb and uh, I did, and you know, I, I went on eventually and started my own businesses, and and uh, started building my American dream. Actually, out of my out of the rubble of my childhood, which was a very yeah. disastrous childhood in a lot of ways, but I rebuilt from there and and started a and a really an amazing life. And then cancer showed up. So that's where I want to begin is your story. Um, about your cancer diagnosis or however you want to, wherever you want to start. To to get started, I was 25 at the time. And like I said, I had escaped my childhood drama and trauma and or I thought that I had (laughs) a big difference there. Um, And I was building my American dream. I bought a house and bought cars and newly married and uh, I had three, was building three businesses. I had a a very large, well-known landscape design firm. I was building an antiques and home design firm. And I actually had a restaurant that I was trying to start all at the same time. And I was just, life was busy and bustling and a lot going on. And it looked really amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, But then I started losing weight very rapidly. And short after the, shortly after the weight loss, I started 
feeling dizzy and lightheaded and weak. And mm. I just deteriorated very, very rapidly over about uh, from in about a six month period of time. I went from thriving to barely surviving. And wow. I could not function. I was wearing one of my one of the things that my restaurant was famous for was cheesecakes. And I was eating cheesecake all day long in order to try to keep weight on. And I couldn't. I was still losing weight rapidly. Uh, so I was deteriorating very, very quickly. I was had severe night sweats. Uh, I, I'm talking bed drenching, replace the sheets, change clothes two, oh, wow. three, four times a night. Um, wow. really, very weak. I would pass out in the shower. Um, I kept telling everybody around me that I felt like I was dying. Nobody could find anything wrong. I tested for everything imaginable. Oh. Nobody could. Mm. And the last thing anybody mm. thought about was cancer for a 25-year-old. But mm. lo and behold, the cancer diagnosis came, and it was stage four, stage four B large cell lymphoma. That was my oh, wow. diagnosis, and so that turned my world upside down. Um, I remember being incredibly angry. I, in yes. fact, when I was in the uh, oncology unit, I kicked everybody out after they gave me that, the diagnosis. I kicked everybody out of the room, family, friends, doctors. I kicked everybody out. I locked myself in the bathroom, screaming, crying, telling God off, I was one angry boy, um, heartbroken, devastated, and very, very angry. Um, and a very long five-year journey began. Wow! Yeah. So, um, was this journey, this journey was of healing of chemo, or um, the journey began. The, the first five years of my of my journey was chemo and radiation. Rinse, lather, repeat, uh, a few minor surgeries, nothing major, no major surgeries, but minor surgeries. Um, as the chemo and the radiation progressed, I started having a lot of problems. My, my left hip deteriorated, my back deteriorated. Um, so I ended up with uh, fractured bones and ruptured disc and all kinds of things began to happen. Uh, I went into remission. I went to the remission originally very quickly, and I thought, okay, done that, it's over, <laughs> I'm back to life, and um, had a few very quick revelations, um, one revelation being that life was not going to just simply return to normal, that normal, normal was no longer normal. Um, my business had collapsed, more or less collapsed by then. Most people thought that I was dead because of the degree of isolation that I had to endure. Um, and that was, that was back. There were different medications then, and um, isolation was a big part of the treatment. So I was very isolated. Most people thought I was dead. So my business, uh, my business has struggled, um, and uh, life just was not going to be the same. I had that revelation very, very quickly. So it was about reinventing myself. So I set out to, to do that. And uh, about six, I believe it was about six months later, I started having problems again. And uh, lo and behold, a new diagnosis came around. 
And uh, this time it was, uh, it was in different locations, but it was in more locations. And um, so at this point, radiation was the primary treatment in that, uh, in that diagnosis. Um, and that's where my bone problems and things really started. And that's where most of it started. Um, and um, again, though, I went into to remission and I was like, okay, we got it this time, surely, <laughs> surely. And, um, but uh, it was about eight months that time. And I remember the day very well. It was my birthday. And I went out to lunch to celebrate. And during lunch, I developed severe abdominal pain. Just out of mm. no, no, no awareness that anything was actually happening. I did have the sense that the hammer was about to drop. I, I, was, mm. a little, I was a little bit scared and uh, uneasy. So I dismissed it. I didn't think too much more of it. And then it happened the next day. And then it happened several times a day. And then it happened more and more. And um, when I really knew something was wrong, I was with my business partner and we were driving back from a meeting and I had an episode hit me and I doubled over behind the steering wheel and I could not control yeah. the car. I could not function. And we nearly oh, crashed wow. into the tree. And it was, and, oh. and I started having, it, it became from that point forward, even a sip of water would send me into abdominal convulsions. Oh, um, my goodness. And um, I would have three or four days of that. And then I would, it would clear up and I would feel okay. But it, the, the window of feeling okay became shorter and shorter. Ended up with another diagnosis. And this time they told me that it was identifiable in every organ. So it was throughout my body and there was not much to do. So they, they put me on extreme pain management. I had, they, they gave me enough pain medications to sedate an elephant, but I was still in a oh, wow. I was in severe pain. There was no controlling. Oh, my um, so after about six weeks of pain management, they told me there was nothing more to do and I needed to prepare to die, that I had mm -hmm. maximum four to six weeks and I needed to go home and get my fares in order and prepare to die. Mm. At that point, I I still was unaware of anything else to do. So I accepted that I was going to die. All the while, I, I also knew that surely, surely that was not the measure of my life. Surely. Uh, Carl, let me ask you: What what age were you at this at this time when you when you got at this time? point? I was uh, at the point of that diagnosis. I was it's hard to keep up with the dates. I was twenty seven, twenty eight at that point. Okay, at the um, point when they told you to just go home and prepare to die. But yeah. you said you you were saying that, but something in you. Uh, what were you saying that something? There was there was just something in me that just could not believe that my life had only been about childhood abuse, trauma, yes. trauma, pain and suffering, and yes. cancer, pain and suffering for me to just die. I, I just yes. I found that very difficult to accept. It was a point of anger. Um, I could not understand it. And so there was a stirring inside of me that believed there had to be. There had to be something. I just mm -hmm. couldn't, I couldn't see it though. 
So I was home. I was preparing to die. I bought a, I bought one of those big shoulder camera recorder things, you know, in the early days. Because this was, this was still before internet and things were, were so dominant. It had just started. And um, so I set out. And one of the things I wanted to do, which was very bizarre for most people, I wanted to go uh, to commune with moose in their natural habitat. That was one of my dying wishes. That's what I wanted. Mm. So I told my oncologist, he said, it'll kill you one bug bite, one, one tree branch scrape, one cut, one bruise. It'll kill you. I said, well, what does it matter? Because I'm dead in a few weeks anyway. And at that point, I did know that I was going to die. I, I could feel it was like, I have this vision in my head of the Grim Reaper with his arm wrapped around my waist. I could, I could feel the grips of death. So it wasn't a question in my mind that I was on my way to death. I, I knew that. I still had this stirring, though, that there had to be another way. So I go off on this trip, and uh, I searched all day long for a moose. I couldn't find a moose high, low, everywhere in between. I was along riverbanks and up mountainsides and down into valleys. And I did this all day long and um, no moose. And I was driving out of the park at sunset and I was really upset. And I remember thinking, all I asked, all I asked was for a moose. That's all I asked. My dying wish was for a, a moose. Why God can't you at least give me this before I die? Why can't you give me this before I die? And I, I was in the car going home to curl up in a ball on the sofa and die. I just, that's how it was. And um, a herd of elk stopped in the middle of where it blocked the road. And uh, cars couldn't pass. So we were stuck. We had to wait for the elk to move. And I heard a woman say, because everybody was walking around on the road. And I heard a woman say, I see a moose. I got out of my car and I ran down the bank into the marsh, into the grassland at the, at the banks of the Colorado River at the foot of Long's Peak, a 14,000-foot mountain peak. And wow. it was standing amidst three bull moose. Wow. And two of them laid in front of me and one stood beside me eating grass from the riverbank and uh, a crowd was behind a crowd had gathered behind me and uh, there were park rangers because the park rangers didn't want you to be in danger but everybody left me alone I, it, it seemed as though the crowd knew that something bigger was happening mm. and i start to get emotional it's still very emotional yeah, it's fine. Um, and i i stood there and i heard a voice and I, I thought it was somebody in the crowd. That's how real the voice was to me. I heard a voice say, choose life. Choose life. Yeah. I heard that very clear. And I knew that if I chose life, that there was provision for that life. I knew it. Yeah. It was done for me. My mindset shifted in an instant from death yeah. to life. And I went out of that forest and I drove home knowing, absolutely knowing that I was going to live. I had no idea how. 
I did not know that provision was, but I knew that if I was given the the choice, I was given the provision for the choice. I knew that. Right. And so I just simply began walking it out. I just, I called my oncologist. I went down to, to Denver the next day. I had, I was before we get there, just hold that thought. I okay. have to ask you, wh- wh- why the desire to be with the moose? Where did that come from? I have, why no, that I have no idea. I just had always been an animal lover. Like we were talking before the call about my plant loving, but I was always right. an animal lover. And my grandfather taught me to never be afraid of any animal. And um, so I had no fear of wildlife, none. I was, I had no fear. And moose to me, they're, a lot of people think they're lanky, ugly, awkward creatures. And they are in a way, but I just saw something really magical and strong and, and amazing in them. And I just really admired them. And uh, I oh, just okay. wanted to be with them. I, I, it was just, and I, I, looking back at it now, what I was seeking is I felt, I felt like I had been an awkward, I, I felt like my life was awkward and um, that yeah. I had been awkward through life. And um, I was sort of the outcast, not the one that everybody, uh, you know, loved. And, right. and right. you know, I wasn't the, the loved one. And but I also felt like I had incredible strength. So mm. I, there's like a I, some people might call it my spirit animal, maybe. You know, it was just relatable. It was relatable to me. And um, so I went down to Denver. I had moved to Colorado full time at that point. And um, I went down to Denver to see my oncologist. I, I played the, my best friend had been behind me during the moose scene and she had recorded it. So I played him the video and he said, oh, Carl, that's really a sweet story. I'm glad you had the experience, but you are still going to die. Oh, wow. And I said, no, I'm not going to die. And he said, well, there's nothing for us, to, nothing we can do. And I, I said, there's, I know there's an answer and I'm not going to die. I know this. Yeah. And um he said, so what do you want me to do, Carl? What do you expect me to do? And I said, I really don't know what I want you to do. I said, but I know that the answer is coming. So is there any way that you can help me buy some time? Instead of dying in a couple of weeks, is there any way to extend my life to a couple of months? And he said, it won't work, but we can try chemo again. And we might get a couple weeks. We might get a month. Mm. I said, okay, I'll do it. Mm. I, I, and I, I had no other options in front of me. So I said, I'll do it. So I'm telling you that I started that chemo. I, it was like water in my veins. I mm. felt no effects from it. I just, oh, wow. I felt no effects for the first time. Chemo had tormented me before, and uh, I felt no effects from it. It was like water in my veins, and lo and behold, I went into remission. And uh, he said, he called me, and he said, Carl, I have never 
This was one of the leading specialists at the time in the U.S. And he said, Carl, I have never seen this in my career. I don't know how this has happened, but this is your miracle. This is your chance. He said, I, I want you in the hospital immediately. We're going to do high-dose chemo. We're going to do a bone marrow transplant. You'll be in isolation for a year, and you'll have to get rid of your dogs and your cats, and you'll have to get rid of your – you'll have to – You'll have to do all these things. It was so radical and so extreme. And I said, no, thank you. I said, no. Because mm, you, you started going in remission already. So why were they going to give you some more? Well, they wanted to do a bone marrow transplant because they were convinced that the, the cancer would come back without it. Oh, and I said, no. I, I, I said, no. And he said, I will stand at your grave in a year. And I said, no, you won't. I will not mm. die. And I, and I said, goodbye. And I never saw him mm. again. I walked oh, out of wow. the office and I have not seen an oncologist in 20, nearly 27 years. Oh, wow. wow. And so I trusted, I was in remission. I knew that I wasn't out of the woods. I knew that. I knew that I wasn't there yet. But I trusted, I believed, and I just stood in faith that my provision would be provided. And one day I was at lunch with a client and I asked about his, how his wife was doing. She had been battling cancer. I asked how she was doing, and she was completely healed and doing really, really well. And he said, you know what, Carl? He said, tell me a little bit about your story. So I shared. And he said, you know what, Carl? Go home. Pack your bags. I am sending you to the specialist that she saw, and I am going to pay for everything to teach you how wow. to do what you did to heal your body. And so I did. Wow. I couldn't get home fast enough. I couldn't get packed fast enough. I couldn't get to the airport fast enough. And I went on this trip to the woods of Massachusetts, to this little tiny village in the middle of nowhere with these hippie looking people that um, just, it was so surreal to me and made no sense to me at all. But I refused refused to ask questions. I refused to doubt. I just said, this is my provision and I am going to receive it. I had the most amazing experience of my life. And 30 days later, I was officially cancer free. And wow. I, there has been no cancer since. And none, none. And I have lived cancer-free now for going on 27 years. Mm. Uh, it was an incredible journey. I learned a lot about mindset. I learned a lot about authentic nutrition, historic, traditional nutrition, not, not a modern version of nutrition. I learned about authentic, real, nature-based, source-made, real food. And um, I learned about eating seasonally and eating in alignment uh, with your body and your climate. I learned about traditional Chinese herbs and medicines and Ayurvedics. And uh, I, I just learned so much. I learned about the proper cooking utensils and um, hmm. even down to how to chop your vegetables properly and how to soak things and hmm. sprouting. And I learned it all. And transform. So Carl, and, and so, Carl, we need to talk a little bit about, about those some of those things. But I want to go back to some roots of some things. When yes. you said that um, um, discovering the condition 
behaviors that have made you sick. Yes. So this was part of the things you learned about conditioned behaviors. Mm. Um, talk about that some. Okay. Let's talk about that. Well, what I eventually realized, I didn't realize this orig- initially, but what I eventually realized is that what had changed was greater, what had changed in me was greater than the change in nutrition, greater than the change in lifestyle. It was the mind, the mindset that had changed. That's what shifted in me. And so from that, I discovered that my life had been conditioned for cancer. Cancer hadn't come out of the bushes and taken me by surprise with the desire, with the intent to kill me. That's not what cancer is. It's not what cancer was for me. Um, Cancer came because of the conditions under which I lived my life. Now, people would say that, you know, being in an abusive home, that's a condition that I escaped. And I did. But I was conditioned also into anger. I was conditioned into unforgiveness. I was conditioned to false and limiting beliefs. Religion during my childhood had conditioned me to punishment. That if I was ill or if I didn't have enough money or things weren't going well, that I was being punished for something that I had done wrong. Religion had taught me that. Even my my pastor stood in my driveway and my associate pastor stood in my driveway at one point and he asked me to confess the sins that had caused cancer in my life. And I was like, oh, wow, really? And so um, I realized that it was about conditioning. So the events and the circumstances and the environment of my home and school and religion, the, the church and everything had conditioned me to anger, to false limiting beliefs, to so many things that were out of alignment with the truth of who I was and the truth of whose I was. Very big. And the truth of who, uh, uh, and the truth of who God and Christ are. Those were right. truths. Right. Christ. But. I want to ask you, Carl, what would you say to someone who who has cancer from genetics? You know, what would you well, say? If you really, person? if you go deep, only one one to two percent of cancer is genetic. And here's oh, okay. the, here's the thing about genetics: um, genetics are controlled by your genes. Your cells are controlled by your blood chemistry. But guess what controls your blood chemistry? Your mind, your mind controls your blood chemistry. So if your mind is trash, if your mind isn't right, it affects your blood chemistry, then your blood chemistry isn't right. And then your cellular and your genetic function is not right. And then you end up with cancer. But if your mind is right, your blood chemistry is right, your cells are functioning right, your odds of cancer go down to almost nothing. Mm. So you you said this was about thirty days when when you were there, but when you came, when you left after the thirty days, were you healed in those thirty days, or did you know that there was still a process that you needed to to go on? Uh, both, both. Okay, okay. it was cancer free in thirty days, but it took another year to year and a half for all the damage in my body to be healed. Um, I had a lot of joint damage, um, spinal damage. I had heart damage. I had gastric damage, intestinal damage. I had all kinds of damage that had to, that had to be worked out, and that was a process that took about a year to a year and a half. 
to go through all that. Now, did you have any surgeries for those processes, or was it strictly your diet and your your mindset? Your was it? I it was all about mindset, nutrition, supplementation. I started working out. Mm-hmm. I can remember very well um, after all was said and done with all the chemo and things. I was so weak that I could not carry groceries in from the car. I couldn't carry anything. I was so weak. My spouse had to carry everything. Um, I couldn't even pick up our little little itty bitty poodle. I couldn't carry anything. I was very, very weak. Um, so I started with two pound dumbbells. And the first time I worked out, I was so sore for two weeks, I could hardly move. With two pounds. Two pounds. It's crazy to think that two pounds would do that to you. But I, I kept doing it. As soon as I recovered, I did it again. And I recovered a little faster and a little faster. And I just kept going. And uh, nutrition was my fuel. I was very diligent, very, very uh, disciplined about nutrition. My supplementation, I was very, very disciplined. I did not fuss. I did not complain. If I had to eat something I didn't like, I ate it anyway. I, I received it as my provision. I received it as my answer to prayer. And I refused uh, to fuss and whine and complain about it. I just did it. But Carl, I want to say something to you. One time I was, this was after I had first met you and I started going to your page. And one day you posted on your page, I am. I am. You know, mm-hmm. to me, God is I am. And yeah. you said, just say, I am. I am. And it's like, I've always known him as to be the I am. I've always known that God dwells in me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've never said I am to you until you said yeah. that. But here's the thing, though. If you believe that God is your creator and he is the I am, then yes. aren't you also a creator and you are? Right. That, that's what I'm saying. I know the Holy Spirit dwells in me. So right. that's what I said. I knew this. But I didn't know the power of it until I, mm-hmm. I got a revelation of the power of it. Yes. I stopped separating me from being the I am and just letting him be the I am. Yes. When he has created me and he is the one that walks with me. When you said you heard the voice, I know. I believe you yes. because it's his will. So anyway, we I could go on and on. But I just wanted I to share we could, that. We could both start preaching here. <laughs> Yeah. When you talk about um, the importance of knowing what to eat and when to eat them, mm-hmm. I have never heard of it. We're, I mean, do you know of a source of a book to find, to read? That's, I was thinking, God, he needs a book. We need this. <laughs> well, here's what I realized. And it was so utterly logical to me when I realized it. I, I was straight A student. I didn't have to study. And when I had this revelation, I'm like, oh my gosh, how could you not know this, Carl? How could you not know this? So it makes such perfect sense. But you, you think of wildlife and they eat in alignment with nature, right? So birds travel across the world to different grounds, different habitats, at different times of the year. Elephants travel, lions travel. You know, they eat seasonally, right? They eat in alignment with nature. And so we just go to the grocery store and we eat what's 
we, we buy the same things over and over again. Over and over. Twelve months of the year, it's the same thing over and over. But nature doesn't work that way. There's not tomatoes on the vine in when there's snow on the ground. But yet we're still eating tomatoes in the dead of winter. Lettuce is not growing in the dead of winter, but we're still eating salads. And, uh, you know, so it we are part of nature and we have to if we want to be healthy, we have to align with nature. We have to align with our source. And so learning how to eat seasonally was crucial for me. And I became I can tell you when the seasons are going to change by what my body is telling me it wants to eat now. Um, and I, don't, I, I stop wanting salads when the weather starts to cool and I want butternut squash soup and I want potatoes and I want root vegetables and I want stews and things of that nature. And then spring comes and I want sprouts and lettuce and, and you know, spring herbs and those kind of things. And then summer comes and I want fruits and, and berries and tomatoes and all those things come along. And so learning how to align your body with the seasons and with your environment is very, very important. I live in Mexico now, so it's, it's hot more or less year round. So I now eat tropical fruits because I live in the tropics. But if I was to move back to Colorado, I would leave the tropical fruits behind and I would eat peaches and pears and apples. And um, um, I, would, I would adapt. I would eat in accordance with my climate. I would eat in accordance with the seasons. Okay, so, so Carl, when you talk about, let me just say, when you talk about, let's say, for example, you said tomatoes. Mm-hmm. You know, they have their season, they're not there. But, but now we import things. We so so from California. We we have it um, delivered here in uh, food from the West. Mm-hmm. We have it delivered in the East, or uh, in in the cold climates, in the coast. So, what's right. the difference if we? Because I'm always looking at the nutritional part of it. So I don't understand. Explain that more about how if it's if well, it's nutritious for me in the summer, it should be nutritious for me in the spring. I'm just getting it from another part of the country. Energetically, it's not as nutritious for you. So Mm -hmm. here's the thing. Energy, we are all life and and we are energy. Right. Food is energy. So food grows in different different seasons because of the energy. So tomatoes are a summer energy. They're light. They're fresh. Um... To eat a tomato in the dead of winter, your body, this, the climate, the season is wanting hearty. It's wanting warm. It's wanting comfort. Um, it's wanting, it's, it's more constricted, whereas a tomato, as an example, is more light and, and, and free. So what you have to do, obviously, if you live in a snowy part, I lived at 10,000 feet in Colorado. Obviously, tomatoes and things didn't grow at all. Ever. So what you have to do, you, you, if, you, if you cannot eat truly seasonally, then you, you eat energetically. So say, for example, you're living in a climate and there's snow on the ground for six months of the year and um, uh, nothing is growing. So you go to the grocery store 
and there's lots of tomatoes that have been imported from California. And they're right. really fresh tomatoes and you want ripe fresh tomatoes. Instead of eating them raw in a salad, you cook them in a sauce. That energetically brings them into alignment. So you're getting the nutritional benefits of the tomatoes, but you're getting the energetic benefits of cooking them and thereby bringing them into alignment with what your body is needing. Warm, hearty, nourishing food. So you put them in stews. You put them on sauces over spaghetti squash and all kinds of things that you can make with tomatoes to be energetically aligned. It's very important. Yeah. Seasonal eating and energetic eating are very important to true health yeah. alignment. What are some of the supplements that you use? Okay. One of the things that I learned very quickly was avoiding pills and going straight to the source. So again, we're back to the subject of alignment. Did you avoid pills because, because of the, the synthetic? Everything is processed. So the more wow. processed, even if it's pure, let's just say, for example, one of my go-to herbs is burdock root. So you can buy a burdock root supplement, but that burdock has been ground, it has been processed, it's been encapsulated, it's been heated, all kinds of things have happened to it. But if you buy the burdock root itself and you make your own tea from the burdock root, you're getting the real deal. And the value of it is exponentially higher than the supplement form of it. Mm. And so I'm very, I have a very strong conviction to go to the source. God made mm. burdock root. He made all kinds of other roots and herbs and bark mm. and flowers that we can use for our healing. And instead of buying them from a manufacturer in plastic capsules, in a bottle shipped via Amazon, we, we want to go straight to the source. We want to buy the root, the bark, the flowers, the herbs, and make our own medicines from them. And it's very easy and it's much cheaper, much cheaper. What if we don't know? When you're on a recovery journey, anything, any kind of illness or disease, um, I keep it, my recommendation is fish only. No other animal product, just fish. Um, and cold water fish, very important to eat cold water fish. You don't want to eat things like shark and eel. Uh, you also don't want to eat scavengers like, like shrimp and lobster and mussels. Uh, anything that's a filtration system in the ocean, you don't want to eat. But you want to eat cold water fish that eat other fish. Um, those kinds of, that's what you want to eat. Um, so salmon, halibut, cod, trout, um, and there, there are others, but uh, those are the predominant go-to versions. And eat that a three, to f three to five times a week, um, you can have fish. Um, the only meat recommendation that I give otherwise is bone broth. So if people are very weak, they're in a very weakened state, uh, bone broth is very good. You just take the bones and you make a broth. That's very beneficial. Um, so I do that with chicken. So you, 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 is that okay? You just boil the, the, the chicken and, and have the broth? Have the broth. But the, the, the digestive process of eating meat is very harmful to recovery. Very oh, harmful okay. to recovery. And uh, it also creates a lot of bacteria and inflammation in the colon 
um, that is not beneficial to any kind of recovery. What so about sugar? Sugar? Uh, gonna test me on, on that one. Sugar does, uh -huh. sugar does not feed cancer. And there's a lot, of, a lot of support for that. Sugar does not feed cancer. Sugar feeds immune cells. The reason that you go for a PET scan and they use glucose to light up your tumor is because your tumor is full of immune cells trying to resolve it. And the immune cells light up, the cancer cells do not light up. It's a misconception. And um, uh, cancer cells feed on glutamine. And guess where glutamine comes from? Animal products. Oh, wow. So wow. it's not sugar. So all these people that believe they can't eat fruit and they can't eat beets and they can't eat carrots because of the sugar content, they're harming their immune system. Mm. They're harming mm. their immune system. So it's very important to get over that misunderstanding, bring those back in, and the thing mm. to cut is the animal products, not, mm. not the fruits and vegetables. Mm. And raw honey... Uh, I use a lot of raw honey and um, maple syrup, good quality, of course, but uh, sugar is not the problem with cancer. I haven't seen you mention anything about the importance of sleep. Of, of what? Sleep? Sleep. Sleep. Well, sleep is, is very important. It's something that I work with clients on in coaching all the time. Um, but I work on sleep from the standpoint of mindset and creating a relaxed mind and a relaxed body. That's how I work on sleep. So when you create a relaxed mind and you create a relaxed body, sleep is going to come naturally. Mm -hmm. um, but it's very important. Most people struggle with sleep either because of pain. That's one, one issue. But most of the time, people struggle with sleep because of their mind being active and their body being uneasy. So they don't know how to relax. They're, um, they're thinking too much. They're in their head. Their subconscious story is running in the background and uh, the mind is too busy and they fall asleep for an hour. They wake up. They spend four hours awake in bed trying to sleep. And then they're in pain because they're, they're tense, they're tight, their body's not relaxed, their mind is not relaxed. But getting sleep is essential. Your body, the cells of your body replicate and heal two times faster at, in, during sleep than they do during the day. Mm. Two times faster. So when you're healing, you need to sleep. You'll see this with animals. If you have a dog or a cat and they're not feeling well, they'll stop eating and they'll go somewhere where they're able to sleep. Mm. Okay, and that's what we that's also what we need to do mm. Mm. so we have a lot in common with animals <laughs> mm, yes they're great teachers let's talk about how to calibrate to a vibrant life future over in early demise and you talk about calibration I do I talk about that a lot <laughs> one, yeah, of, yeah. one of my favorite words calibration when when most people get an illness uh a, a diagnosis of an illness no matter what that is whether it's cancer or something else they are calibrated to a story 
Calibration means that they're attached or they're aligned with the story. So you're at the oncologist, you're at the doctor's office. The doctor looks at you and says, I'm sorry to tell you, but you have cancer. You have mm. 10 seconds to decide what you're going to do with that information. 10 seconds. Mm. And most people in that 10 second period, they calibrate to pain, to trauma, mm. to losing their hair, to surgeries, mm. to chemo, to radiation, to not being able to work, to mm. strife among family and friends and discord and abandonment and loneliness. That's what they're calibrating to. And guess what right. happens? What you calibrate to, you attract. Mm -hmm. And so that you just keep getting more and more of it. And people will say to me all the time, why does this keep happening to me? Why does this keep happening? And I say, it's happening to you because that's what you're calibrated to. Now, if you were able to take that 10 seconds and look the doctor back in the eyes and say, okay, I am going to go home. I'm going to think about this. I'm going to pray about this. I am going to meditate on this and we'll talk later. And you go home and you can calibrate to I am. I am. My body is designed to heal. My body desires to heal. My body wants to heal. My body will heal. I am going to empower my body to heal. And then you go back. You, you have a totally different journey on your hands and you're going to start attracting the opportunities. You're going to start attracting the provision. You're going to start attracting everything that you need to walk out that healing and that healing become your reality. Mm. That's what happened to me that day in the forest. I calibrated to life. When I heard those words, choose life, I calibrated to that. Mm. I calibrated to it. But for the five years prior to that, I was calibrated to dying and suffering. Mm. So when you shift your mm. calibration, you shift your outcome. Mm. Okay, okay. Let's talk about how to stop fighting and start being. Being, yes. Well, so many people, the cancer industry is, and I call it an industry for a reason. Mm. Um, you pick up on that. But um, cancer... People want to fight cancer. It's just like they want to get out the boxing gloves and they want, to, they want to fight cancer. They want to kick it in the behind and they want to punch it in the face and they want to fight cancer. What does fighting get you though? Fighting is negative energy. Fighting waste energy. It, uh, if you pick a fight on the, the school ground as a kid, you get, you, they, they come back at you stronger than you came at them and fighting just gets you a, a bigger fight. That's all it does. It wastes your energy. It distracts you. Fighting cancer is, is an exercise in vanity. It is useless to fight cancer. Um, what you have to do, you overcome cancer by being, by, uh, by again, it's a calibration and alignment. You start to, in your mind, you start being what you desire. So instead of stopping work and going home and not having anything to do with family and not going out with friends and not traveling and all of this because I've got cancer, you keep doing that. You, you become the life that you desire. So you start to do the things that you want to do when you're cancer-free, when you're down the road 
What does that picture look like? You paint that picture in your head. You imagine what is what would your life be like when you get that cancer-free um, awareness? What would it be like? What hairstyle would you have? What car would you drive? What um, friendship? What what kind of friends would you have? What would you travel? What kind of business would you build? What would you do with your life? What kind of hobbies would you do? What would life look like when you became cancer-free? And today, right here today, with your cancer diagnosis, you start to the degree that you can, you, you start acting out and being that picture. My biggest encouragement is not to dismiss the power of the mind to, and its role in creating the healing that you desire, but more importantly, more importantly than your desire, the healing that you are, des- are you that you are destined for. Um, so, Carl, people want to get in touch with you. They want to have you speak. They want to have you on their show. <laughs> um, the the the, the uh, cancer organization wants to contact you. The the best way to reach me, well, the easy way to reach me is through Facebook. Um, my my Facebook profile, Messenger, is my go to source. Um, the the Facebook group is called Love Your Cancer Free Life. So, Carl, thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. I'm so so honored for the opportunity.